Welcome back to I Loved This Conversation. My name is Alex Salzberg. I'm an animator and a writer and a teacher and a podcaster today and every two weeks. This is my podcast where I sit down with other creative people and talk to them about what they're currently going through in their creative lives. My hope is that it feels like getting coffee with another creative friend and having one of those great conversations where you leave inspired and less alone as an artist. So I hope you enjoy listening to me chat with people in my creative community and feel like we're both a part of your creative community. Today's episode is with Eric Wilson, a ceramic artist in the Boston area. Eric and I have been friends for a while. We were even roommates at some point. (laughs) Eric may not know it, but I kind of think of him as part of the origin story of this podcast. He's not involved in it other than being a guest and a supportive friend, but he is someone that I have had those coffee conversations with regularly. We make a point to get coffee as often as we can, and one of our go-to topics is our creative lives. Eric is extremely passionate about pottery and has been since he started doing it about 10 years ago, and I love talking with him about his journey and venting about what's going on in my journey, so there's no doubt that the value I got from those conversations with Eric and that I continue to get from those conversations with Eric is part of the reason why I wanted to share conversations like that with all of you. We had this coffee conversation at CCTV in Cambridge a couple weeks ago, and it was a good one. Eric talked about how falling in love with pottery 10 years ago changed his life immensely. He talked a lot about why he makes time to show up consistently to the studio on top of having a day job and a family and just the busyness of life and how he makes that time. We talked about taking extra long rest periods, like unexpectedly long rest periods to avoid burnout. And we talked about how Eric has been working recently to improve his relationship with social media and so many other things. Like all my conversations with Eric, I found this one really grounding and really inspiring. It's such a good reminder to just show up and consistently make your art, practice your art. It's as simple as that. And sometimes I forget that. And that's why I love talking to Eric so much. So let's meet our guest and hear his connection. To me. My name is Eric Wilson, and uh, we were roommates, and now we're good friends. Yeah. I mean, that's how you know it's a good friendship, when you survive being roommates. <laughs> but no, Alex is a great roommate. I guess when you live with someone, you're unlikely to come out of that situation neutral. But I feel like our friendship came out on the positive end from that. Like, we became a lot closer. I think we hang out more now than we did when we were roommates, actually. <laughs> that's possible, yeah. yeah. Or, or more intentionally, at least. Right. Yes, absolutely. Instead of just seeing somebody in the apartment, I right. have to make pl- actual plans. We're not just chatting in the bathroom line. <laughs> All right, I'm going to open with a big question. What is something you're currently going through in your creative life? Yeah, that is a big question. Something I've been juggling a lot recently is a general feeling that my artwork is, while it's progressed a lot, it's it's not exactly where I want it to be, but I don't really know where I want it to be. You know, I still, uh, I have all the motivation in the world to be in my studio and to be making, but... Sometimes I don't always feel the high level of excitement about the work. That's a, a big challenge because I, I it's not like I have a clear sense of uh, I want to be progressing to this spot, but I know that I don't want to be hanging out where I am all the time, you know? Do you f- have a sense or a, a feeling that you have plateaued? Is that what you're describing? Or is it more of an imposter syndrome thing where you're like, something about my own work doesn't feel like it's there yet? I don't know if I'd call it imposter syndrome because I feel like I've gotten to a point where 
I feel confident about the work that I do make. And in terms of plateauing, you know, maybe a little, but like, I don't know. I think it's just more a sense of like, maybe I want to, maybe I want to have like a different aesthetic or maybe I want to be making slightly different things, but like, I'm just trying to like work through it to, to find out what that is. So it's like you have this almost underlying sense of like, you want to shake things up, but you're not really sure yeah. when, when that's going to happen or how that would happen. Yeah. I struggle a lot with the idea of whether such a shakeup or so, like a change, if you feel discontentment, if it if it needs to be something like completely conscious, you know, right. whether you, you're like, okay, I'm going to stop doing X and now I'm going to do Y. Or if it's something that naturally comes out of just the practice of making artwork. And, and maybe that's actually part of the challenge for me is just figuring out that question for myself. Because sometimes when I try to be more intentional about it, like... Oh, you know, reading more, drawing more, um, trying to flesh out particular ideas. Like, I don't always find those practices to be something that I can do all the time. Maybe what I'm getting at is something that just needs to happen by itself. Is there sort of a division between, like, the work you're actually doing when you go to the studio and you, you know, have your your hands in the clay and the glaze and all that versus, like, this more, for lack of a better word, like, preparation work or, or this practice of, like, sketching ideas and reading about ideas and mm -hmm. things like that. What's, like, the typical balance you have of those two things? Oh, it's much more studio-heavy. So you just kind of, like, dive in. Kind, kind yeah. of, yeah. And, and I think that that's a product of preference and, and also life situation. Yeah. You know, like life is busy with family work, et cetera. So like my studio time is so limited that I need to be kind of like hyper focused or else nothing gets done. If you don't go in for well, like with a plan and know, oh, I need to do, you know, A, B and C by next month. Suddenly, like two weeks have passed and you've only halfway started on A. Right, you know? right. And then you're like, oh, shoot, I'm out of time. So I relate to you in that I'm kind of a dive in person. Like, I, I think in the same way that, that in conversation, I think out loud. Um, I feel like I sort of think out loud in art. I don't think I make my best breakthroughs before the work is started, like with whether it's sketching or research or uh, in my case, like mood boarding, things like that. And sometimes I've been self-conscious about that. Like, maybe this is my imposter syndrome. I have this feeling that, oh, a real animator would do more research before just starting this phase of the process. So I, I don't know if you relate to any of that or if it's different for you. Uh, no, I absolutely relate to that. I don't know if I think about it as like, oh, uh, you know, a real ceramic artist would do this or that. More like, I have a sense that the people who are making work of a certain quality or that has a certain amount of thought or insight or development behind it, that is a natural product of all of those things put together. I go through periods where I think, oh, I, I should be like sketching more so I have, you know, a bank of ideas to be pulling from and, and then yeah. I will do some sketching, but then it sort of falls off for me. Like I can't seem to create the same routine and habit of sketching that I've been able to create of going to the studio. You mentioned that you haven't lost your motivation to like get up, leave your house, go to the studio. And yet you have been feeling sort of mixed feelings about the work itself. So if not, if not the work itself and, and the quality you feel it's at, what is motivating you to get to the studio? I find having the routine to be grounding. And I also find it to be like fulfilling and therapeutic. Mm. You know, a certain amount of 
happiness and satisfaction comes from just the the pure act of making stuff. It's something that I'm able to have for myself in a in a busy world and I think that it it provides kind of grounding for me. And it's time when I can have a certain amount of quiet, a certain amount of just time to do my thing, you know, and yeah. I, and I really value that. I think that that's a big part of it. Is is it's something that that holds a lot of meaning for me and is like a personal space and and practice. I mean, this is maybe an overused term, but it sounds like you keep it sacred in a sense. Yes, absolutely. Sacred in the sense that like I make it a priority yeah. and I make sure it happens because I know that I'm a better person for it. The reason I'm able to do that is because it's good for me in right. some sense. So like j- jump back a couple of years, uh, we talked about how we were roommates. And um, at least from my perspective, I, I witnessed the... Uh, pre-pottery BP Eric <laughs> and then the post-pottery Eric. I remember you saying like, yeah, I'm going to take a pottery class. I think you even asked if I wanted to join. I did. And you said no. I said no. And which is fine because I think I would have had imposter syndrome seeing how <laughs> good you were at it. But from my perspective, you like fell fast in love with pottery and it it became something like if if I'm maybe you don't like this but if I'm describing you to someone else like oh my friend Eric pottery's within the first 3 descriptors of you it's like beard you know <laughs> that brings me around to a question is was that positive effect like that grounding effect that happiness effect you just described was that a right away thing and what was life like before you had that i guess or at least your creative life i started taking ceramics classes in 2014 so i just moved back to the boston area a couple years before that so prior to that i'd been in school like traveling around and i'd done a lot of photography and music and other things growing up and in school, but never ceramics. And just quite randomly decided to pick up a class. Like I had seen it and I was at the time really just looking for something to do outside of work. And it had always struck me as something that looked interesting that I would want to try. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, you know, I work at a nonprofit. I spend my days writing emails to folks and I missed having in, in a cliche way, like something to do with your hands. Right. To your other point about, about like kind of, you know, falling hard or however you put it. Like, I think this happens to a lot of folks that do ceramics and maybe you'd hear stories in in other craft pursuits, but, you know, people talk about like taking a class and it really resonates with them. And then suddenly like you you just want to do it all the time. And that's kind of what happened to me. Like I knew that it had looked interesting, but I, you know, other than that, I didn't have a sense for it. I liked it right away. It was it was very immediate and rewarding and and it's sort of the antithesis of doing office work. Yeah. Right. Like you you can make something and use it and share it with friends. And there's something really special about that. And it, it really just kind of opens up a whole creative space. And I think that that's also something that keeps me and a lot of people coming back is just the joy that comes from making things put in a very simple way. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it makes sense There's that in particular and probably other tactile art forms as well, but like that in particular ceramics is so opposite of like so much of what modern work is. Yes, absolutely. We're staring at screens and then ceramics is, I mean, it is literally like a type of mud, right? Mm -hmm. That seems very primal. I would agree with that. And I think that there's something 
you know, very basic to humans about we like to make stuff. We like to see the product of our labor and we like to share it with other people. Yeah. And ceramics is great for that. Ceramics is hugely popular right now. Studios all over, all over everywhere, frankly, but all over the Boston area are full of people and have huge wait lists of people that are anxious to try it out. And I think that that kind of speaks to this thing that like resonates with people. Yeah, that makes sense. Now looking back at the the B BP or BC, I should say, <laughs> but before ceramics would be a much smarter pun. Um, B, the BC Eric BCE. Looking back, are you now able to see like anything that was missing there? That like was there a hole that ceramics filled? You know, I haven't really thought about it in those terms before, but I think that I can look at it pretty clearly and say that if you look at the trajectory and like where I am now, it's become a quite a large part of of my life. So I'd say that yes, like that would indicate that there was some hole there that something was missing. Yeah. But maybe I just hadn't realized it. I don't know if you remember, but at the time when I picked up that class and we were living together, I, I was also I'd taken up running and mm. I was running an awful lot. You know, I still run now, exercise yeah. and like all that stuff. It's still an important part of my life. But like that that is I, I could have gone a whole different direction and like, you know, become an obsessive like runner <laughs> doing all sorts of races, but I didn't do that. It it didn't kind of like capture me right. in the same way. And it was never really a conscious choice. It was more like, you know, my heart is in the studio and yeah. I and I exercise because I need to to be healthy and you know, it's good for me and it makes me feel good. But but it's not like where my heart is. It's hard to, and I know this is all very like, what's that? Like, this is all very butterfly effect, what I'm going to say. But it, <laughs> but it is hard to like overstate the effect that that one decision of taking a pottery class had on your life, given that that's how you met your partner. And oh, you, totally. you, you have a kid yeah. together now. Yeah, yeah. And like that one small decision sort of led to so much and, and kind of in a, in a just showing up sort of sense, mm. right? Taking a class and then taking more classes and then getting involved in the studio where I'm at now. And and like you said, meeting my partner, Samantha, and we have a wonderful daughter, Zoe. Like those are all huge like life things that, that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Right. We could oversimplify it and be like, well, because of A, pottery, like B, you have this lifestyle and this family and all this. But like the things you just described are, you know, in a sense, more general. Like the things that led you to where you are today are doing something that grounds you and building a community around that thing. How big of a part of your current identity as like who you are right now feels tied in with pottery? I don't know if I like think about myself in those terms, but maybe it's bigger than than I give it credit for. Because I mean, you know, being at the studio is, as I said, something I prioritize every week. I am president of the board of directors for my studio, so I put in a lot of extra work there at Mudflat Studios. It's something that's just kind of ever present like yeah. in life right so probably pretty big yeah. but but i don't think like if, if i met someone i i don't know if it's like the first thing that would come out of my mouth and yeah. that's not to say that that it's not part of my identity it's just not necessarily like the first thing that i'm going to say to people yeah i mean something we've we've talked a lot before eric and i sit down and talk about creativity and, and our art so often that I say the last three times we hung out without microphones, I was like, shit, I should have recorded that. That was gold, which is not, that's not healthy. But something I've always been interested in with you is like, you have a, a nine to five job, yet in all of our conversations about our lives, about our work, I don't think we've talked about your nine to five job in like, 
five to nine years. <laughs> um, and, and I'm not even really exaggerating. I mean, maybe we've touched on it where you've potentially been like, oh yeah, work is busy right now. But like, I, I haven't heard, and this is not a, a good or bad thing. I'm just curious mm-hmm. to go down this direction. Like I haven't heard a story from your work. I haven't heard you sort of talk about what you do at work. And yet we talk about ceramics all the time. I guess that always interests me because I think <laughs> maybe, I don't know if it's a, worldwide thing, but certainly in the U.S., the question, what do you do, is one of one of the really common dinner party questions. And I think you're an interesting case where the answer to that question is sort of, do you choose the thing you do for money or do you choose the other thing you do the rest of the time? I'm sitting here kind of reflecting on the fact that if I met somebody at a party and they said, oh, what do you do? I would almost certainly tell them what I do for work. And I, it, I wouldn't say to them, I'm a potter and oh, also I do this other job. Like you and I are these weird flip sides. We're both, I think, extremely passionate about our artwork. And mine is my nine to five and yours is your <laughs> your five to nine or whatever you call You know, like <laughs> I, I feel a kinship with you as an artist and that I feel like you and I are, are equally artists and, and we're doing the same amount of work and output and impact. We have the same amount of passion, if not if not more on your end. <laughs> I, I guess I'm curious without getting too like therapy-ish, like why, why is that your answer? Is it just because that's what we're used to saying? Why would it be my answer that to tell someone what I do for work? I, th- I think it's just the literally the impulse when somebody asks you that, like the subconscious thing in your brain, yeah. at least my brain, always kind of just goes straight to the thing that I get paid to do. Yeah. And, you know, I think I think some people are trying to like consciously rethink that. We've been socialized to right. think about like what you do as as the thing you get paid for. Yeah. Right. I guess that brings me around to another curiosity. And this is super hypothetical, but I, I can't imagine it's never crossed your mind. Like if things were flipped, if your nine to five was ceramics, <laughs> what do you think would change about it? Like, do you think it would still be grounding or is part <laughs> of the magic of it that it is the thing that's the antidote to the computer you stare at all day? Yeah. So I think like I think, first of all, that's a really important question, because I think that so many of us aspire to take the thing that we're passionate about and turn it into the thing that sustains us Mm -hmm. financially. Yeah. Right. Like there's something I, I don't know if it's like that that feels like success or if it's if the assumption is that uh, I, let's I, say, thought, I thought it would feel like success. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps the assumption is if you can make your living doing the thing that you you love, this sort of cliched idea that mm-hmm. you won't actually work or you won't feel like you're working, which I think can be true in some sense. I, I do. I've kind of come to the conclusion, though, that for me, I think that the pressures that would inevitably come from having to produce enough and make enough money off of ceramics would take away some of the joy of it. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) I mean, that's I don't mean to be oversimplified. There's a lot of nuance to how I feel about my work. I guess on the flip side, and this is something that I maybe envy about you, there's been times, even recently, because I've had some low points with my work, where I've been like, well, maybe I'd be happier if I had a, a day job, you know, something that I liked doing, but wasn't taking my passion. It was just taking mm-hmm. some of my energy. But then I, I always think like, I don't know if I would have the energy. Um, and I don't even I don't even have kids yet. Like, I don't know if I would have the energy to um, to then animate. <clears throat> we already talked about your motivation, but what's what's cool about you is that like you're finding that energy to go make pottery before or after work. Yeah, you know, to some degree. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I I do it, but I like I want to be really 
clear about this with uh, with anybody listening because it's it's not like without its ups and downs, right? Yeah, and yeah. and I think that you know, conversely, when I say, oh, uh, if I was just making my living from pottery, it would take away some of the joy of it. The flip side of that is what I was saying to you before, which is that like, you know, creatively, I I have something that's unfulfilled, Mm. right? Like I have whatever this area is of of my work that that like I want it to go somewhere. But right now, I just don't have the time to explore that, right? So that is the unfortunate flip side of my setup. Right, which is that so much, so much energy and thought goes into protecting and sort of, as you said, keeping sacred the the time that I do have. Right, that it doesn't allow for the amount of creative development space, and like that is the part that can feel a bit frustrating. How does that frustration affect your day to day? You know, some days, some days it feels like a bummer and some mm-hmm. days, you know, I just try to set it aside. Like it's, it's kind of something that's there, but it's not something that, that is like always nagging at me. Right now I'm in the middle of a, a cycle of, of making and working on a commission project, which is great, but I'm kind of like nose down, like trying to get that done. Yeah. Right. Things like the little voices in my head are, are kind of there but i know okay i yeah i can't really listen to you until like march right (laughs) (laughs) do you like doing commissions because that's not not all the time for you right certainly not all the time i've done a couple in the past year that have been great experiences and like helped me Mm -hmm. stretch in certain ways you know if, if i feel like the right opportunity comes along then then it's something like i'll consider and and usually it's it's like if i am excited about the project or i you know i feel like it's something that'll help me grow i know you you do make some money off your pottery cuz you're selling it online and in at least one gift shop around the cambridge area right yeah i sell in a few galleries and then do some various things online. Because it's such a measurable thing, right? You can be like, I I sold four mugs and five plates this week or whatever. Right. How tied up does that get with your ego or your um or how you feel about your work? Sometimes it affects me more than others. I I will fully admit that if I have a bad show at Mudflat, that can feel a bit demoralizing. And I think it's mostly just because what artists, at least this is my my opinion, is like I think what artists want more than anything is to know that our work resonates with people, yeah, speaks to someone and and like yeah. that people look at it and enjoy it and like maybe even want to make it part of their life, right? And selling work is a rather crude representation of that because somebody could come in and be like oh wow this is amazing and like love it but not have the money or not have the space to purchase something but when you don't sell things like that is the most immediate feedback of like oh maybe people didn't like what i made right so i i'm not above that right like i i can certainly uh get down about that do you feel like someone buying it is like just is the biggest endorsement over if someone just walked into Mudflat and was like, neat mug. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would say so. Like, unless you're standing there next to your work at all moments when Mm -hmm. somebody comes in and says nice things to you, the most clear representation of like, wow, it really spoke to somebody enough that they took it home with them. Yeah. That makes you feel great. 
And I think that that's a maybe maybe a little shallow reaction, you know, because it's a commercial transaction, right? So, yeah. but but like it is a representation of like out of all these pots here, somebody liked mine enough to pick it up and yeah. take it home. I think a lot of us yeah. artists wish there were better ways than money for people to <laughs> to show how that your work's made an impact on them. Even though people buy or don't buy my work, I haven't made it a clear like transition to oh, you know, people buy this type of thing, so I'm just going to make this type of thing, right, right, right. And and that's another, you know, back to your question about work, work. Like that's a luxury that I have because I'm right. not trying to you know, maximize my sales. I do have the freedom to pursue what I want. And if people buy it, they buy it. Yeah. And if they don't, they don't. And sometimes, you know, like I've sold pots recently. I've had sitting on the shelf for like two, three years. Mm. They finally found a home. And like, that's great. But if it, if the financial circumstances were different, like I couldn't do that. People who've been listening to like the last couple episodes are probably annoyed with me asking about this. Um, but something I'm really interested in just because I'm at a point in my life where I'm planning to have kids soon. And I am also like you and an artist with artistic passions and ambitions and someone who wants to put a lot of time and energy towards my art and my creative life and my career. You had a, a daughter a couple years ago. And I'm curious, how do you balance your ambition and your priorities? Being in a life situation where you absolutely have to prioritize another person first 100% of the time. You know, nothing in life is 100%, yeah. but but like having a small kid, so Zoe's two and a half, it's just a lot of time and yeah. needs a lot of attention. So I think, I guess for me, you know, I don't have a problem coming up with the the energy or the desire to be in the studio. So that yeah. is not a challenge. There's like a drive or a compulsion to make stuff. So that is there. It's not about the desire to be making or in the studio. It's more about, okay, how do you protect your time? How do you organize mm -hmm. your life to make that happen? And basically for me, that just means getting up early and going to the studio when everybody's yeah. asleep. Right, <laughs> right. So it's really, it's funny. I tried to like turn it into a deeper question about ambition, but in a sense, what you're saying is like, no, it's logistical. <laughs> or, yeah, kind or of. It's, yeah. Uh, I think I alluded to this at the beginning, but it's about being to some extent, like organized about my time. You know, I'm not a disorganized person, but I'll be completely transparent and say like, <laughs> I I'm not like spreadsheet guy, right? Like yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm not like, uh, you know, I've got my calendar and my journal, I'm writing everything down and like, I've got a total plan and a da da da. Like I just, right. I don't live life like that. It's not, it's not like um, I'm opposed to it or <laughs> not it, it, like anything like that. It's just somehow my brain kind of doesn't work that way. I'm also not highly disorganized. Mm -hmm. If if I didn't have to be, I, I wouldn't be really focused on like, all right, like, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, like I'm in the studio yeah. at this time, like this week I'm working on X and Y kind of thing. And, and I think that because the motivation is there, it's easy to do what you have to do to fit it in. Yeah. Right. I talked about running before, right? Mm -hmm. Running and exercise is still something that's very important to me, but I do not have the motivation to get up and go running at five in the morning. Right. Right. Like it doesn't work. Yeah. Like I've tried it yeah. before. It doesn't work for me. Like I might, <laughs> I might make it happen one day, but like I can't do it the way I go to the studio. All I can really say is that there's something in my brain that allows me to get up and go to the studio that early. But if I try to do that for running, it just doesn't, it doesn't want to do it. <laughs> right. Would you say you have a lot of trust in the part of your brain that gets you to the studio that early that you're not worried it's going to go away? 
I don't worry about it. I've tried to find ways in the past couple of years to make sure that I'm getting the rest I need to avoid a, so, some sense of burnout. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because that that is totally, you know, I, I'm not trying to to pitch this to you like, oh, I've got it all figured out and like, no, you know, just... smooth sailing. <laughs> like, I, like I totally get burnt out. Yeah. Like yeah. totally. Oh, of course. And I think... I don't know if it was last year or or two years ago, but but I I had what I realized was some serious like burnout in the summer, and and yeah. it kind of like was forcing myself to continue to go to the studio, thinking like, oh, you know, if I just drag myself there, I will eventually get through this. And looking back on it, I think I would have been wiser to take a bit of a break. Yeah. So what I've done this past year is like I finished up all my work for our studio sale early December. And I took all of December off. Mm. Didn't go to the studio at all with the express understanding that if I didn't do that, I would come back from the holidays feeling tired. Instead, I came back from the holidays feeling ready to be back in the studio. I've also tried to build that into like pre-summer. So I think last year I I did a similar thing where I took a break sometime in May. Yeah. a month off or so. Basically like, okay, you know, you've spent the first five, six months of this year getting up for three, four days a week, very early, not sleeping. Okay, you know, step back, get some sleep and then come back to it. That has worked pretty well. I I wouldn't say it's perfect. That's something that I kind of had to learn because like for the first, you know, four or five years and this was like pre-kid, right? So different circumstances as well. But you know, I didn't really feel like I needed any breaks. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like, without realizing it, like, oh, I just felt like garbage, right? And then you need a break. <laughs> During those breaks, because the, these are long breaks. Uh, you said a, a month off at different points. Was there angst during those breaks? Or- when I get close to one, I feel myself really looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Because even though the whole, like, getting up early thing works for me, you, you just feel stretched thin. So it's not angst, but... I can I can kind of feel myself like after a certain amount of time wanting to be back in the studio, but then like I just have to remind myself, okay, you know, just just like see it through yeah. a little more and then be ready to go again. And that doesn't take away from like thinking about, okay, well, what's next? What do you want to work on? Like all that's still going on. But having a break from the grind is the important part. Okay. I'm going to open a can of worms. Social media is oh something. <laughs> Eric just threw a chair across the studio. <laughs> we, so as as I said, Eric and I, we uh, we have a longstanding, we try to have coffee or virtual coffee pretty often. And a topic that comes up pretty often in, in relation to our creative lives is social media. What's your current relationship with social media? Current relationship with social media is, I'll say broadly, like, It's totally like a love-hate relationship. I post my work on Instagram, but we're having this chat at an interesting time because I just kind of revamped how I try to use it, try to use Instagram, because I was kind of feeling like crap about it. You know, I, I think that that is all the typical trappings of like everything from like checking social media too much to mm-hmm. comparing yourself to other people too much to yeah. worrying about like posting too much, all of it. Yeah. Right. You know, I like I am I am just as susceptible to all of that as anybody else. I think for a long time for me, I have felt like I needed to prioritize it or whatever because that feels like 
how you get yourself out there. Yeah. Right. And and so it just felt like kind of an unfortunate necessity. What are some of the things you've been doing lately? You said you've revamped your approach. What, yeah. What's that looking like? So the main things that I've done from a purely like using the app perspective is so I don't use notifications on my phone for anything me, except text. Me but I was having this sense that I was just like checking Instagram too much. So I decided <laughs> yep. recently to turn my notifications for Instagram on. The theory there being that part, like ostensibly part of checking Instagram is like, okay, if people are messaging you things, you don't want to miss them. So I thought to myself like, oh, okay. So if I turn on my notifications, I can be notified if somebody messages me, but I don't have to be checking this. So it was an effort to like try to cut down on the amount of time I was checking it. It's worked to some degree. I would say, I, you know, I'm not going to claim it's like magic elixir, but it's right. worked a little bit perhaps. And then the other thing that I've done that I think I would recommend to other people is you can actually turn off somewhere, I forget where, but somewhere in the privacy settings or whatever, you can turn off all the like counts. So Whoa. like you can just look at posts and it'll say liked by so-and-so and others, but you're, it won't tell you the numbers. So you're not constantly looking at this thinking like, oh, this person's doing amazing and why am I doing so <laughs> crappy? So you're you're turning that off for how it appears to you. So if you look at my most recent post, yep. you're not going to see the number of likes. It Correct. Has. Are you also turning that off for your posts or you're still measuring how many likes you get? Well, so you can also turn it off for your posts. Mm -hmm. When you turn it off for your own posts, that means like if I post something, you will not see the like count. Yeah. I can still see it. Right. So right. I'm still aware of like You're how, still getting those little dopamine boosts. Yeah. Like So I'm still aware yeah, yeah. of like how it's doing. But I'm also like, like I've taken away that thing that's like, oh, I, I'm now, I'm directly comparing this to what other people are right. doing. So it's almost like I can just look at what people are posting and try to enjoy it for what it is. Right. And then leave it be. When, when you were comparing yourself, what were some of those like negative reactions you were having? Like, especially when you saw those like counts. Uh, I mean, part of it is just the basic sense of like, oh, you know, why, why do people like this more than they like my things? Right. But then another bad part of it is, is also just like the sense that like, oh, if, if other people are doing this much better, like there's something about using this app that you're not understanding, oh which God, leads yeah. you down this total rabbit hole of like, oh, you know, trying to optimize how you're posting and when you're uh -huh. posting and everything else. And it was just like consuming too much of my brain space. You hit the nail on the head. And that's when I become really susceptible to this, like all the social media advice from, you know, the coaches who coach coaches on how to coach. Like, <laughs> who, are, who are like 10 ways to optimize your posts. And Yeah, you can totally go down this rabbit hole of thinking about it too much and spending too much time on it. Which, like I said, I'm, you know, I'm totally susceptible yeah. to. So I've been trying to figure out like, all right, it's not making me feel good. It's not producing anything. So, but at the same time, like I do recognize that Instagram, it serves essentially as a portfolio for me. Yeah. I I've sort of made peace about the social media stuff with uh, my animation because I, I had a realization that for me, it is a business, but the number of followers that I have, increasing that only a little bit is not going to increase how well my business is doing. If I got 10,000 more followers tomorrow, that probably would help my animation business and help me get more clients. But getting 500 new followers in the next year is not. It's nice to hear you're having a better relationship with it now. Or trying to, at or, least. Or trying to. <laughs> I don't know. That, that sort of 
innate thing is like, you know, you're making work, you want to share it with people. Yeah. And that's one of the best ways for me to do that. So I don't want to give it up, right. but I just want to change what I'm doing with it so that it doesn't feel so crappy. I think that some of these things I've described like have helped. Like I said, mm -hmm. I don't think it's, you know, perfect, but it's it's an improvement. Let's jump to our lightning round. Your oh, answers don't have round. to be that fast, but I believe your meter expires in 15 minutes. So <laughs> it's up to you. Um, so the first lightning round question, what is something you learned the hard way that you'd be happy if other people could just learn the easy way just by hearing you tell them on the podcast and they wouldn't have to go through all that trouble you went through? I think a good life lesson really is listening to your passions and and your heart and just like kind of explore those things that mm -hmm. you feel inclined to do. If you feel compelled to something or you feel like really drawn to something, like definitely give it the time it deserves. I think that there's a lot of joy and satisfaction that comes out of that. Make time for that. Make sure that you're making time for the things that sometimes like society tells you are frivolous. What is something you learned the hard way? that you're glad you learned the hard way. I feel like I said this before, but where I'm at with my art, I think is really a product of showing up. Make it part of your routine, make it part of your your life. And, and just by showing up and being present, like, you know, things will happen. It feels really cliche to say that because all <laughs> that's really saying is like, you know, you need to practice and you need to yeah. do these things, right? But yeah, kind of. <laughs> like, I, I, you know, there's no... There's no like real shortcut. The third lightning round question is, uh, what's your favorite thing to do that has nothing to do with pottery? Spending time with my family, absolutely. And um, kind of a distant, distant one past that would be being outside exercise. My last question is, Eric, where can people check out your work, potentially buy your work? Yeah, check me out on Instagram. My handle is at Wilson Eric B, Eric with a K. If you're in the Boston area, um, I have my studio at Mudflat Studios, which is in Somerville. You know, we have open studios twice a year, but the, the school is, uh, you know, it's open to the public and you can come in and visit and check it out. All right. Awesome. Well, Eric, thank you so much for letting me record one of our coffee conversations. Yeah, thanks for having me. And talk soon. Thanks again to Eric Wilson for chatting with me. Thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of I Loved This Conversation. As usual, please like and subscribe and share and keep sharing those animations around. Uh, those get a lot of views and have brought more listeners into the podcast. And it makes me so happy that people are enjoying those. So if one of those little cartoons speaks to you, click that little paper airplane or whatever the icon is on, on the app you're on. This episode was recorded at CCTV in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Thank you so much to the team there for always being so friendly and welcoming to both me and my guest and for making sure that I have everything I need to record this podcast. Thanks to my brother, Adam Salzberg, for mixing this episode and getting it to your ears. The theme music is by Typist, which is Adam's solo project. If you liked this episode and want to go back in the archives and check out another one, I think you'll really like, I believe it's the third episode of this podcast with Sarah E. Jenkins. It's another episode about someone just loving their craft. So if you want another dose of that kind of inspiration, I think you'll really, really enjoy that one. Other than that, we'll be back in two weeks with another great conversation. The next one, it's kind of different, but also not. 
that's all I'll say about it. Suspenseful. Uh, Until then, bye. And thanks for listening.